We're going to continue our Kingdom of Priests series this morning in the book of Numbers. So if you've got a Bible, you may want to get over to Numbers chapter 16. That's where we're going to spend most of the morning. I am not going to begin the morning talking about the referees from yesterday's Aggie game. Uh, But I am going to start the morning talking about referees. I just chose some referees that are a little bit farther away from us. Uh, so as not to evoke angry emotional reactions right at the beginning of the sermon. A few weeks ago, there was an NFL game between the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, The Lions lost the game, but they felt that they had been wronged by the referees. They felt that some of the calls that didn't go their way resulted in them losing the game. So they were angry. In the days that followed that game... Around Detroit, some billboards started to pop up. Some fans uh, who were angry pooled their money together, and they rented billboards, and on the billboards, they put this image. Uh, This is a referee wearing the cheese head, and of course, the implication is that the refs were fans of Green Bay, and that's why Detroit lost the game, and Green Bay won the game. When I read the story... I paused for a moment and I thought, you know, I'll bet there are few professions right now that are more hated than referee. If I asked you to list your favorite professions, my guess is that referee would be somewhere near the bottom, around terrorist or presidential candidate or something along those lines, like right in there with professions that you don't like. We struggle to like refs. In fact, I read another article that said youth sports referees have been quitting in record numbers over the last several years. And the reason they've been quitting in record numbers is because more than ever before, people hate them. People scream at them. Parents and kids threaten violence and even enact violence against the referees. It's a dangerous situation at times for refs. So I started to ask, why do we hate them so much? Why is there something in us when somebody like a referee says, these are the rules, you got to follow the rules, and I'm here to enforce the rules. What is it in us that rises up to say, no, I don't want that? You could attribute it to the fact that we are certainly in a culture where people are maybe over-invested in the outcome of a sports contest. But I think there's also something else. I think the attitude that we see toward referees, it's not just on the playing field. It extends to the workplace. It extends to the home. It extends to school. It extends to society at large because at the heart of why we struggle, I think, with referees is the same reason we struggle with authority figures in general. We don't want to obey authority figures. We don't want to submit. There's something in you and there's something in me, there's something in all of us that when we are called upon to obey an authority, there is something in your heart and my heart that says, I don't want to do that. I want to be in charge. I'm going to call that something this morning sin, because that's what the Bible calls it. And in fact, it's a sin that goes all the way back to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. We tend to think, you know, when we think about authority, we tend to think that maybe it's confined either to a particular sphere of life, like sports, or perhaps you think it's confined to a particular generation. So if you're on the older end or the middle-aged end of your life, you might look at the generations coming below you and you say, those millennials, they have problems with authority. 
Those Gen Z kids, they have problems with authority. But as we look at the scripture, and actually as we look at history, what we see is everybody has a problem with authority. If you're a baby boomer, you might remember a phrase, don't trust anybody over 30. Why? Because they're an authority. You go back to Genesis 3, what was at the heart of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God? Well, the serpent says it. If you eat from this fruit, you can be like God. You can be in charge. You don't have to submit to him. And yet also as we look at the scripture, there are few, uh, few concerns of the scripture that are more critical than this idea of how we respond to authority. And here is why. As you look through the scripture, here's what you see. Our attitude toward authority exposes our attitude toward God. Let me say that again. Our attitude toward authority exposes our attitude toward God. In other words, the Bible would say it to us this way. If you're a person that you say, I want to obey God, I want to submit to God, and you say that, and you believe that, and yet... In every context in your life, when you are under authority, whether at work, whether in your home, whether at school, whether out in public, in every context where you face authority, you always kick back against that authority, argue with that authority, fight with that authority. The scripture would say, then you actually have a problem, not with the earthly authority, but with God. That our attitude toward authority exposes, fundamentally, do I trust God with my life? Do I trust that the people God has placed in authority over me in my life are there because God has allowed them to be there, because God has placed them there, because God has delegated authority to them? We're going to talk about that as we walk through our passage for this morning. Because it's interesting, almost every time in the scripture when we see exhortations to obey authority, it's connected to our relationship with God. Let me give you one illustration from 1 Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it how? As bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. You see what Peter is saying. When you obey the earthly authority in your life, when I obey the earthly authority in my life, we are ultimately obeying God. We are bond slaves of God. And we see this principle fleshed out in the scripture over and over and over again. We're going to see it in Numbers 16 and 17 this morning. We're going to see an incident in the life of the nation of Israel in which a group of people chose to rise up and try to overthrow the authority that God had placed over them. And they experienced devastating consequences as a result of their action. And what I want to talk about this morning is why do we have authority over us? How are we called to respond to it? And, And what are the consequences if we don't respond to it in the way the scripture calls us to. And as we dive into the passage, here's what I want us to think about. Is there an authority in your life or authorities in your life? Kids, maybe it's at home. Maybe it's your parents. Students, maybe it's at school. Maybe it's a professor. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's in the workplace. It's a boss. Maybe it is out in society at large. Maybe it's governmental authorities. 
You say, I have a real problem. Ask yourself this, why? Is our desire to rebel against that authority, is it rooted in good things, or is it rooted in my own pride and my own sin? Let me dive into Numbers chapter 16 for a few minutes this morning. If you have your Bible, follow along with me. Numbers chapter 16, I'm going to start in verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action. And they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourselves, Korah and all your company, and put fire in them and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chose, chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and that he has brought you near, Korah, and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? Now, a reminder where we are. This is the nation of Israel still in the wilderness. They haven't entered the promised land yet. They've been told they're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness because of their sin. And this group of men, this family of Korah, they are Levites. What was the job of the Levites? They attended to the utensils of the tabernacle. So the tent and the poles and the, the bowls and the altars and all of the things that were in the tabernacle near the presence of God, it was their job to take care of that stuff. So they have an incredibly important job. They are close to the presence of God. These are powerful, important men in the nation of Israel, and yet it's not enough for them. And so a group of them gets together and they say, hey, Moses and Aaron, who are you? Why shouldn't we be in charge instead of you? We don't like the way you are leading us. So we're going to take over. And what I want to point out as we begin is Moses' response at every stage in this story. Moses' response is not going to be because I'm smarter than you, because I'm stronger than you, because I'm a better leader. Moses' response fundamentally is because God put him there. And we're going to see a principle now work out in this passage that we see all over the scripture, and is this, all authority is delegated authority. All authority is delegated authority. Moses' authority has been delegated by God. Now, we have to recognize that God put Moses in place very directly. God appeared to Moses from a burning bush and spoke to him and said, go lead my people out of Egypt. My guess is that the authorities in your life don't have quite that much on their side. Your boss did not get his job from a burning bush. 
But the principle is still going to hold. That every authority in place is there because God has delegated to them that authority. Romans chapter 13. Paul said, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, I want to be clear. Paul is not saying that every authority can do whatever it wants because it has divine sanction. Paul is not saying everything an authority figure does is the right thing or even that it always ought to be obeyed. We'll talk about that in a minute. What is he saying? He's saying if anybody on earth has authority, it's because God has delegated to them that authority. So you can go all the way up the chain of authority from your parents to your boss to your professors, all the way up to the president of the United States, or even in this case in Romans 13, the emperor of the Roman Empire. You can go all the way up. And there is always an authority over whatever authority you were talking about. Think about it this way. When I was a kid, I remember, and maybe you remember feeling this way, I remember feeling like I was always being told what to do. No matter what, Right, Take out the trash, do the dishes, mow the lawn, do your homework. Whatever it is, I was always having to do what other people, grown-ups, told me to do. And I remember thinking something like this. Maybe you thought it too when you were a kid. I can't wait until I grow up and nobody will tell me what to do anymore. Now you're chuckling because you're now grown up and you know the truth. Everybody still tells you what to do. You're never out from under authority. Even if you're the boss, you probably have a boss. Even if you run the company, you have clients, you might have shareholders, you have a board of directors, you always have somebody you submit to. You can go all the way up to the king of a nation. And what Paul says is this, that their authority is delegated by God. There is no authority that derives its power other than from God's power. Okay, so this has implications for both leaders and followers, right? For leaders, what it means is there is no absolute power on this earth. Only God has absolute power. This is why in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, God says it is he, or Daniel says it is he, it is God who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. In other words, even if you're the king, God can just pluck you up and put another one in. There is no authority that has not been delegated by God. But for followers, here's what this means. For those of us under authority, what this means is if, and Paul says it in Romans 13, if I rebel against authority that God has put in place in my life, I'm ultimately rebelling against God. If I rebel against authority, let me say it again, that God has placed in my life, I'm ultimately rebelling against God. Now, I want to let that hang there for just a minute because I know I need to qualify it just a little bit. Because remember, what I just said is there is no authority on this earth that is absolute. So even though all authority is delegated by God, God is the ultimate authority. So if an authority figure, if my boss or the government tells me to do something that is directly immoral or opposed to the Bible, then God's authority trumps human authority. We see an illustration of this in Acts chapter 5. You may remember that Peter and John, the apostles, they were preaching the gospel 
and the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling council of the Jews, the government of the Jewish people at that time, calls them together. And they say, hey, you guys need to cut it out. Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Well, that was in direct opposition to what Jesus had told them to do. Jesus had said, you are to go into all the nations and tell them about me. And so Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin and they said, now, we have to obey God rather than men. We also recognize that in our nation in particular, there isn't just one-way authority, right? So the government certainly has some authority over us, but because we are a republic, we have some authority over them. We vote every couple of years, so we have an influence. We have the right of free speech in order to speak up if we feel that certain policies are detrimental to our nation. So speaking about the government or voting, those things are not lack of submission to authority in the way that our country is set up, if we do those things respectfully. The other thing I would say is this. Every earthly authority has a sphere, has a sphere of influence. What I mean is this. Your boss has authority in the workplace but he can't come into your house and tell you how to arrange the furniture. That's not his sphere of authority. The president in our system, he has more direct authority over the military, for example, than he does over the press. So he can more directly tell the military what to do, but he can't tell the press what to say and what not to say. Right? So every authority has a sphere of authority. Now, I, I say those qualifications because I want to get back to this point. What the scripture is telling us is this. Rebellion against authority would look like this. If what I am being told to do is not immoral, and I'm being told to do it in the sphere of this person's authority, then I am called to submit with joy. I'm called to submit with joy. So let me give a couple of illustrations. If you're a child and your parents say, make your bed, make your bed. When I was a kid, I was told to make my bed. I had multiple reasons and still have many reasons why I think it's inefficient, why I think I shouldn't have to do it. And given the option today, I don't do it. Now, I realize some of you, you find me lazy for that. You believe I will be a failure in life for that. I get it. But I don't like to do it. And that may be you. But if you are under their authority, it's not an immoral law to make your bed. It's within their sphere of authority right now over your life, so make your bed. If you are in the workplace and you have signed on to the regulations and the rules of that office, there may be ways that you are called upon to dress that fit within the office work ethic. It may be that your boss says, if I send you an email, I want to reply by 5 p.m. There are certain things you're going to be asked to do. They're not immoral. They fall within that leader's sphere of influence. And so you are called upon to submit with joy. Within the public sphere, Jesus addresses the issue of paying taxes. Ultimately, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But in the sphere of authority that the government has over us, Jesus would say we're called upon to pay our taxes and to do it joyfully in a way that honors God. Unless what we're being called upon to do is in direct defiance of an order of Scripture or outside a person's sphere of authority, the scripture would say, you are called upon to submit with joy. Or even in the church context. When I became a member of Grace Bible Church, I signed 
some things where I assented to the doctrine and the procedures of this church. And what that means is there are certain things that I could do that would result in discipline from the board of elders at this church. Now, I have some options if I don't like that, right? For example, in the workplace, if I say, I don't like the way this office is run, guess what? The great thing about this country is you can quit and find another job. You could find another church. But there will always be rules and regulations within the sphere of authority that we are placed. And so what the scripture tells us is because all authority is delegated by God within their sphere, unless it is an immoral regulation, we're called to obey. And what we see with Korah then is that like us, they have something inside of them that wants to rebel. That sinful tendency to say, I want to be in charge. And what they display, I think, is the same thing that we display when we disobey. What is it? When we rebel, we display our arrogance. We display our pride. I want to go back for just a minute to verses 1 through 3. Specifically, verse 3. Listen to what the sons of Korah say. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy. What are they saying? All of us are holy. All of us, Moses, are just as good as you. We can represent God just as well as you can. You're nothing special. They go on, every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst. God is with them too. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now drop down to verse 12. Moses sent a summon to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness? Notice again the romanticizing of Egypt. Egypt was so great. We had milk and honey. But you were slaves. Remember again. Their minds have become twisted. And they don't believe the truth. Now look what they say next. Would you also lord it over us? In other words, you are using your authority, Moses and Aaron, in a heavy-handed way. We don't like it. You're exerting your power. You're throwing it around too much. Verse 14, indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. You're a liar, in other words. Nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. When you think about that expression, to put out the eyes of uh, these men, think about our modern expression, to pull the wool over the eyes. That's basically what they're saying. You're trying to dupe us. You're trying to trick us. You are leading us in the wrong direction. We don't like it. What are they saying? We should be in charge instead of you. I'm going to guess that every time in your life that you have been tempted to disobey an authority or that you have disobeyed an authority, you thought you were right. You thought you were right. If you get pulled over for speeding, your first thought is not, they're right, is it? Your first thought is things we won't say. Your first thought is all of the reasons, maybe, why you're right, why the speed limit should be lower, why you, you, you know, it's not your fault. There's all kinds of reasons. Something in us says, I should be in charge. If you've ever had a boss that you thought was making the wrong decision, and you find yourself pushing back against that person, my guess is you thought you were right. And here's really the sticky wicket about all of this. You might be right. You might be smarter than your boss. 
You might be smarter than the governmental leaders. You might, kids, be smarter than your parents. You might have figured out life in a way that your parents never have, especially if you are between the ages of 13 and 17. You know things they don't. You might be right. But what the Scripture says, it's not an issue of whether you're right. It's an issue of your heart toward authority. The sons of Korah are convinced that they were right, just like us. And what happens is we can lose sight even of the truth in those moments. That the authority placed in our lives is there because God has placed it in our lives. I've shared with you before, when I was in my senior year in college, I had one professor and it was in a very important class, a class that I had to get through in order to get my degree. Uh, and he was a tough professor. And not just a tough professor, he was mean. He would stand up in front of the class on a regular basis and tell us that in his 40 years of teaching in multiple countries on different continents, we were the worst class he had ever experienced. Our projects were the worst, our attitudes were the worst, everything about us was the worst. And so he would come in on a regular basis and just go into these lectures about how we were the worst. And I remember one day in his class, he was launching into one of these, and after about five or ten minutes, a student stood up in the back of the room, and he raises his hand and he goes, I have a question. And the professor goes, yes. And the kid says, hey, are we going to learn anything today, or are you just going to tell us how stupid we are? And I could see on the professor's face the shock of, I can't believe this is happening. On the rest of our faces was this, this relief and joy. The revolution is beginning. We were so glad. And the professor, he, he shot back at the kid. He goes, you would be learning something if you would listen to me. And the guy says, I'm not learning anything. I'm just learning you hate us. And they went back and forth, and finally, guess what happened? The professor said, get out. And he said, you need to go see the department head. Only time in my four years of college that I saw a student essentially get sent to the principal's office. But here's what happened. I found out later. He goes into the department head, sits down. He explains his side of the story. This is what he says. This is what he does. It's just a tough environment. The department head says, I get it, and you're probably right. And I can't do anything about it. So you got to go back and muddle through somehow. You got to submit. He wasn't asking us to do anything immoral, he wasn't abusive. He was just a jerk. And unfortunately, that's not fireable. But boy, we were convinced we were right. Many years ago, I was a part time staff member at a church where I disagreed with some of the decisions they made. And again, to my knowledge, nothing immoral was going on. Nobody was stealing money. Nobody was asking me to do anything unethical. It was just that I didn't agree with some of their approach to ministry. And, and the big thing was we were right across the street. Church was right across the street from a major university where there were tens of thousands of college students, most of them international students from all over the world. And yet this church and its leadership had opted not to invest money or time in reaching those students. And I hated that. And I knew I was right that they needed to do it. I expressed my concerns to the leadership and they said, we've got to agree to disagree. 
At that point, what options do I have? Well, I can find another church. I can joyfully submit. And that's it. What are the options that I wish that I could have exercised, or at least back then? Well, talk bad about the leadership. Sit in the back row and sow discord. Find passive-aggressive ways to undermine them. But biblically, the Scripture doesn't give us those choices. Because in the sphere of authority that they had, for me to rebel would demonstrate my sin and demonstrate my arrogance. So let's ask ourselves honestly this morning, when I'm tempted to rebel against authority in small ways and big ways, when I'm tempted to slander authority in small ways and big ways, why? Where is it coming from in our hearts? It's usually coming from a place of believing that, that we need to be in charge and that we are better and smarter and more competent. That's what was going on with the sons of Korah, the same arrogance that lives in our hearts. And here's what they find as the story goes on, is that that type of rebellion incurs judgment. In a moment, I'm going to read the remainder of this story from Numbers chapter 16, at least a good portion of it. But before I get there, here's what I want to point out. When the scripture talks about judgment for rebellion against authority, it comes in two forms. The first one is earthly judgment. Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Now I want to pause. This is a general principle that Paul's laying out. Certainly, there are abusive authorities. There are people who don't use their authority well. There are people who use their authority to punish those who are good. But Paul is saying, in general, rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. This is the Apostle Paul's way of saying, if you break the law, you reap the consequences. There are natural consequences when we defy authority that usually will come face to face with that authority figure itself, right? So if I defy my boss consistently, I might get fired. I might lose a promotion. Many years ago, when I was the college pastor over at our Anderson campus, one evening I was uh, pulling up to the church for an event that I had to lead as the pastor. And as I pulled up to the church, I got pulled over by a police officer with his lights on. So here I am, the pastor, sitting right in front of the church building with a police officer right behind me. And the reason was because I had not uh, renewed my registration sticker. And he saw it as I drove by. Now, in my mind, much like you, there were all kinds of reasons that I hadn't done it. None of them were uh, good reasons, really. It was just, I just kind of forgot. I kind of got lazy. I kind of didn't do it right. So I got pulled over. Lights are flashing. And at that moment, I'll be honest, I was tempted to think divine judgment would be better if the ground opened up and swallowed me whole. I would prefer that to this humiliation right here. But bottom line is, I broke the law. You break the law, you bear the consequences. You defy an authority figure, Paul says, 
generally speaking, you, you're going you're to bear some natural consequences for that. Children, you constantly go toe-to-toe with your parents. Your life is going to be much less pleasant than you would want. So is theirs. In the workplace, if you constantly undermine, slander, disobey, or act in, in passive-aggressive ways, you will struggle in life. There are natural consequences. But also, the Scripture says there are divine consequences as well. The remainder of Numbers chapter 16. Let me read through this for us, starting in verse 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abiram with the elders of Israel following him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them or you will be swept away in all their sin. Anytime God tells all your friends to take a step back away from you, you are in trouble. Here's what follows. So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the doorway of their tents along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds. For this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. Again, Moses points back to the fact that his authority is delegated. As he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, the earth may swallow us up. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. In this instance, the divine judgment is swift and it's severe. They die in a terrible and miraculous way. In our lives, most of the time, divine judgment is not going to happen like that. But the reality is, the scripture will tell us repeatedly things like this. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you want to find yourself on the receiving end of the opposition of God in your life, the quickest route is arrogance and unsubmissiveness to the authority in your life and the authority of God. Let me be clear. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, your eternity is secure. The death and resurrection of Jesus is sufficient to pay for all of our sin, including our sin of failure to submit to authority. But there is a reality that all of us, 2 Corinthians 5 says, all of us will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will be evaluated for our lives. And how faithfully we obey. And we want to hear, well done, good and faithful what? Servant, bond slave. Because we've submitted to God's leadership and the leadership of those he's placed in our lives. And so there is 
a real consequence for disobedience to authority. It may come now, it may come later. When you look in the New Testament even, sometimes you see judgment of God on those who disrespect the authority, for example, of the early church. You see Ananias and Sapphira lying to the apostles and they get struck dead. So God takes the issue of authority very, very seriously. So if that's the case then as we close, let me offer a few thoughts about how we are called to approach authority. If you're in authority and if you're under authority. First one is this. If you are a person in authority, carry that authority humbly. 1 Peter 5, speaking specifically to the authorities placed over the church, to the elders, he says, do not lord it over those in your charge. Don't carry your authority like an absolute scepter, because it's not. Remember, all authority is delegated by God. Not only will we be judged and evaluated based upon how we respond to authority, but also how we use authority. If you're a person under authority, which all of us to some degree are, let me offer a couple of thoughts. The first one this. Pray for your leaders and those in authority over you. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now keep in mind, when Paul wrote this, uh, the leader he probably has in mind, the king he has in mind, is Nero, Caesar Nero, who was not a good guy. He didn't use his authority well. He tended to kill people who disagreed with him. And yet Paul says, I want you to pray for these authorities in your life, that they will come to know the Lord, that they will create an environment where you can live in quietness and peace before the Lord. I want us to be honest with ourselves this morning for just a moment. Think about the authority figures that you have most recently struggled with. Maybe at school, maybe at home, maybe at work, maybe in the government. When was the last time you prayed for that authority? When was the last time you prayed that they would know God and trust Him? When was the last time you prayed good things for them, that they would thrive and have peace in their own life so that they can extend peace to those they lead? Scripture says pray for those in authority. Before we say anything, before we do anything, pray for those in authority. And then secondly, submit joyfully. Submit joyfully. We read 1 Peter 2 earlier. We're ultimately serving God. Again, our, our attitude toward authority reflects our attitude toward God. And so unless it's an immoral command and as long as it's in that person's sphere of authority, we submit and we submit with joy. Which, by the way, is in the pattern of Jesus Christ who submitted on this earth even to earthly authorities to whom he was vastly superior. None of them were God. He was and is. And yet as an example to us, chose to humble himself and submit with joy, looking to the reward ahead 
looking toward our salvation as well. Because he knew that it honored his father. Our response to authority reflects our attitude toward God. Will we pray for our authority and submit with joy? Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word. We are convicted by the reality that in our hearts, we often want to rebel against the authorities you've placed in our lives. We pray that we would submit with joy. We pray we would recognize that we can trust your justice as well. Father, we we recognize that we can trust your plans for us because they're better than our own. Teach us wisdom, teach us humility, and teach us faith in you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.